James chapter 1 and verse number 2. There are a number of attitudes in the book of James, and this is the first attitude that is mentioned in the book of James, right off the bat. James chapter 1 and verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy. And there's the attitude word, an attitude of joy. My brethren, count it all joy. Say that word with me. Joy. Say it again. Joy. Say it joyfully. Joy. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Now the temptations being spoken of there is not talking about being tempted unto sin, but rather it's talking about problems. It's talking about difficulties. It's talking about situations of life that are less than desirable. Now how many of you have ever faced anything in your life that you would consider to have been less than desirable? Would you hold your hand in the air? No, right? How many of you faced something this past week that you consider to be less than desirable? All right, how many of you had something today that happened that was less than desirable? You see, it is a fact of life. Oh, yeah, both hands up. <laughs> it is a fact of life. Things are not going to go the way you want them to go all the time. And yet the Bible says, for the child of God, in a situation like that, there still ought to be an attitude of joy. And there's a reason for that. Imagine, <laughs> I'm having a bad day. It is an odd attitude to have, I will admit. It seems to be a paradox. But read on. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Patience. Yeah, I need more patience. More patience with my mate, more patience with my children, more patience with those I work with. Yes, I need more patience. Are there those who could use more patience from time to time? Would you hold your hand in the air if you could use some more patience? Well, I've got wonderful news for you. The more problems you have, the more patient you can become. Face it, when things are going your way, you don't need patience. When everything is, is so nice, there's no patience needed at all. It's when things are not going your way you need patience. That's the only time we grow in patience. But, verse 4, but, important word, but let patience have her perfect work. In other words, when the problems come, and they will, don't fly off the handle and say things you ought not say. Don't take matters into your own hands and try to solve situations that cannot be solved, but just back up and, and be patient. Why? Let patience have her perfect work that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. In other words, there are benefits that come our way when we remain under a trial or a difficulty in a way that honors our faith, in a way that honors God. There are benefits. Now hold your finger there. We'll come back close to this passage in a moment. But turn to Romans chapter 5 and notice verses 2 through 4. We see the attitude of joy, and now we're going to add different words. Romans chapter 5 and verse 2. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice... Say that word, rejoice. Say it again, rejoice. Rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, 
but we glory, (laughs) say that word, glory in tribulations also. Notice the three words, joy, rejoicing, glorying in trial and trouble and tribulation. Can you imagine this attitude? (laughs) I'm I'm having a bad day, but I have joy. Well, I'm rejoicing. This is the worst week I've ever had. And glory, it doesn't look like it's going to get any better. It is an odd attitude. But notice, and we not only, but we glory in tribulations also. Notice, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. And patience, experience, and experience, hope, and so forth. Turn to another passage, 1 Peter. Go back to where you were, just a couple of pages over. 1 Peter chapter number 1. We see joy, we see rejoicing, we see glorying. And now we're going to add to our joy or our rejoicing. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 6 and 7. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness, through manifold temptations. The manifold temptations are those problems that compound themselves one upon the other. Have you ever had a day where nothing went right? You said, day's nothing. I've had weeks like that. One problem after another, it seems there was no end in sight. Isn't it odd that the Bible says when there are manifold temptations and problems, there ought to be greater Rejoicing? Now that's a paradox, but watch carefully. That the trial of your faith, in verse 7, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found into the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. One day we stand before God and give an account for how we handled the bumps in the road. For many of the trials that came our way came for the express purpose of molding us into the image of Christ. It is how we faced those situations that determined whether or not God's work was accomplished or whether it was rejected in our life. It's the attitude by which we face these difficulties. Now, think for a moment why in every passage of Scripture written to the child of God In the situations of difficulty, trial, temptation, problems, why would the Lord ask of us to have an attitude of joy and rejoicing and glorying and great rejoicing? The answer, I trust, will come toward the end of the message. But let me describe through things that have happened in my life lessons I've learned. A number of years ago, as we had traveled, we had lived in the same travel trailer for many years, and as the boys were getting older, the trailer was getting smaller, and we needed something larger. We lived here in California at the time, and we started praying that God would provide a new travel trailer for us, and God, God in a miraculous way did. As a matter of fact, I, I can say so now, many people wonder how it happened, but you may remember the Western Christian bookstores. There were 13 of them on the West Coast. The man that owned them was in a church in San Francisco, Calvary Baptist Church, San Francisco, a man whom I had never met, but he was dying of cancer, and he had heard of the project through his wife, and he invited me over to their home, 
And I met him for the very first time. And, and he said, I understand you're raising funds for a travel trailer. And I said, yes, sir, we've just started. And he asked me how much that it would cost. And, and I told him how much it would cost. And he said, well, go ahead and order it. I said, excuse me, go ahead and order it. I'll write the check for it. And God provided for us that brand new travel trailer, absolutely free and clear. He wrote a check in, eight, in excess of $85,000, and it was given to us. He never got to see the trailer because in the process of time of it being built, he passed away and went to be with the Lord. It may well have been the largest travel trailer in the United States at the time. It was 47 feet long. It had five electronic slide-out rooms on it. It was 13 feet, 6 inches high, the same size as a semi-trailer. And I had a truck. I had a Dodge Dreamer. There were very few of those made. It looked like a van in the front and a truck in the back. It was used basically out in Texas for people hauling their, 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 travel, or their um, uh, farm trailers and so forth. And everybody said, you know, your truck is never going to pull that trailer. Your truck's too small. Trailer's too big. So I started asking professionals their advice. And everybody concurred. The, the truck, the engine would be strong enough. 440 engine, but the weak link perhaps would be the transmission. So in South City, San Francisco, I took it to a transmission shop. There was a guy that I'd come to know who raced for a living. And I said, look, can you beef this up? He said, oh yeah. He said, I can put parts in your transmission. Nothing will destroy the transmission I put in your truck. So confidently, I left it with him. Within a week, he called me and said, Steve, your truck's ready. And I went to pick it up. When I got to his place, he handed me the bill, $1,456, and when I saw those numbers, I, I didn't have a lot of joy. And I wasn't rejoicing and saying, what a bill this is. But I was just writing the check, and just flippantly, I said, well, I guess that truck will pull that trailer now, won't it? He said, Steve, I don't know. <laughs> what do you mean you don't know? Don't you know how much $1,456 is? I want to know. Oh, it's at that moment I could jump up on the counter and rearrange his face with my feet. But let me ask you something. If I do the man bodily harm, is that going to make my transmission stronger? Yes or no? No. Maybe I tell him off and say things I ought not say. Will that make my transmission stronger? Yes or no? No. Nothing I say changes a situation like this. Nothing I do changes a situation. I have learned in a situation like this that this may be perhaps the best thing the child of God could say. Oh, well, let's see what God's going to do in this situation that benefits me. So I went to pick it up. Walt Brock from Ironwood Camp was already in Missouri. It was built in Concordia, Missouri, and he was going to meet me there and follow me back to California in case there was difficulty. Wise man, he said, let's hook it up. Let's go down the interstate, come back before we leave town just to make sure it works. So we did. We hooked it up. I got out on the interstate. I started driving 50, 55, 60, 65 miles per hour. Talk about joy and rejoicing. Glory. This is wonderful. We turned around. We came back to the very ramp we had left from. I got out, walked behind the trailer to Walt's car, and I said, Walt, it's working great. He said, good. Hit the road to California. Five miles later... Five miles later, smoke starts boiling out from under the truck. I have blown the $1,400 transmission. What do you say in a moment like that? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen people with their vehicles. They have a car that will not start. They bang on the dashboard. Or they get out and open the hood. And they don't know why they did that because they don't understand anything up under there. I've seen people with a flat tire. Kick the flat tire. A lot of good that does. Slam the hood and you can tell your car off and it's still not going to start. Well, I got in Walt's car and we drove to the next exit. We didn't have cell phones. Drove to the next exit, got a pay phone, called for a wrecker. I said, I need a big wrecker. I'm 66 feet from the front of my truck to the back of the trailer. I'm the same length, same size as a semi. They said, we'll send one. I said, I need a big wrecker. We'll send one. We drove back and we waited and waited and waited and waited. And finally, this little bitty pickup came (laughs) with a little bitty boom on the back of it. It is the smallest wrecker I've ever seen in my life. I thought he was just passing by and stopped to see if he could lend assistance. But it was he who they sent. And I said, you're not going to try to pull that with that, are you? He said, I can pull your rig. He backed it up, jacked it up, hooked it up in a way I've never seen done. He did not use a chain. I had a very beautiful design that hung close to the ground on the front. Very beautiful design on the front of the Dodge Dreamer. He was scared that he might mar it or, or tear the, 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 the plate off, the bumper off, the thing that was hanging down. And he cradled the two front tires in nylon straps. Never seen that done before. Got in the record and we drove off. Now I will confess, I was impressed. His little bitty truck pulled my whole rig We could not carry on a conversation, however. It was wide open and barely moving, but it was moving. (laughs) And we went down the interstate just a few miles and got off the interstate and went down the ramp to the stop sign. There was an important word in the last statement. We went down. As we were going down, the massive weight of the trailer took control of everything. And it was pushing us. And he was trying to stop. It snapped the straps and drove the front end of my beautiful Dodge Dreamer into the back end of his wrecker and bashed in the whole front end. What do you say in a moment like that? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'll never forget what he said. When he got out of the wrecker and came around and saw the front end of my truck bashed in, he said, oops. (laughs) Oops. What do you mean, oops, you incompetent wrecker driver? Look what you've done to my truck. Oh, at that moment, I could pound him into the ground or say things I should not say. But if I were to do bodily harm or say things I should not say, it would not change one situation. Oh, well. Let's see what God is going to do through this situation that benefits me. He hooked it up again using the same nylon straps. Double wrap around the tires. That'll hold it. We got back in the wrecker and drove off. We turned to the left, went under the interstate, and went up the hill to the stoplight. We were just sitting there when all of a sudden, pow, the straps snapped again. I looked out the back window, and there goes the truck and trailer leaving the wrecker, backing down the road all by themselves. I've not spent one night in the trailer, and it's going bye-bye. Nothing I can do. I just stood outside the door. Watch out. Here it comes. Cars behind it were peeling out of the right to the left, getting out of the way. 
he jumped out of the rocker and started running after it. <laughs> I had a strange thought watching him run down the road after my truck and trailer. I wonder if I locked the door. <laughs> he caught up with it, jumped in and stopped it. The amazing thing hit nothing, hit no one. The most amazing thing, it went just as straight backwards down that road as it could go. Those things don't back straight by themselves. They don't back straight when you're trying to back them straight. Well, he went up to the top of the hill. He got his rucker. He brought it down for a third time. And he hooked it up. This time he used a chain. I like chains. The reason he could use a chain, by this time he's torn the whole front end off my truck. You can hook a chain anywhere you want to. You got full access to the frame at this point. We dropped the truck and trailer off at a church there in Blue Springs, Missouri. And the next day, I took my truck to a transmission shop. They were convinced this truck should work. Maybe they made a mistake in San Francisco. Let us rebuild your transmission. They rebuilt it. Three days later, we tried pulling again. I went eight miles and blew that transmission. Oh, well... We took it back. They were still convinced they wanted to put a bigger pump to get more fluid to keep it cool. So they rebuilt it again. Three days later, we tried pulling again. I went five miles and blew that transmission. Three transmissions, and I haven't even left town. I finally figured it out. This truck won't work. They put the fourth transmission in. I left the trailer and drove back to California. I hired Morgan Transfer Company to deliver my trailer to San Francisco. They charged me $1,800 for the delivery. $1,800, a bill I didn't want. $1,800, a bill I didn't expect. $1,800, a bill I didn't have the money for. How many of you have ever gotten a bill like that before? One you did not want, one you did not expect. How many ever got a bill like that? Huh? What would you say when you got it? No, you did not. <laughs> I was waiting for my trailer to be delivered. I got a telephone call. Is this Steve Piggott? Yes, it is. This is Morgan Transfer Company. We're dropping your trailer in Kingman, Arizona. We blew the engine in our truck, and we're not pulling this trailer another inch. <laughs> what do you mean you're dropping my trailer in Kingman, Arizona? I paid you $1,800. I want my trailer! Oh, I could wrap the telephone cord around his neck and strangle him. <laughs> but nothing I do, nothing I say, gets the trailer delivered. Oh, well. Can you see the manifold problems that are happening here, one upon the other, where it seems there's no end in sight? Harvey Seidel, has he ever been here before? Harvey Seidel church planner here in California for a number of years. Harvey had just bought the largest Dodge truck with the biggest Cummings engine in it. And he had bragged to me, Steve, this truck will pull anything. So I called him. <laughs> Harvey, how is your truck doing? Oh, it's great. It's great. Harvey, I've got a trailer in Kingman, Arizona. Do you think your truck would pull my trailer into San Francisco? Sure. Good. And we went and got it, and it did. Wonderful truck. Came all the way across the mountains into San Francisco, no problem. 
Less than one week later, I got a call from Harvey. Steve? Yes, sir? I'm having to put a new transmission in my truck. (laughs) I blew his transmission, too. It's at this point you need to learn a valuable lesson. When he told me that, it would have been wrong for me to have said, Oh, well. (laughs) Understand the words I'm using tonight are not public words. They're private words. In the quietness of your own heart, when things aren't going as you would like for them to go, oh, well, let's see what God is doing through this situation that benefits me. But these are not words you use to someone else. Imagine a husband and wife are having difficulties in marriage, and she says to him, these are the things you do that bother me. He should not say, oh, well. (laughs) Or a young person fails a test. Why'd you fail? Oh, well. (laughs) No, if you can study and do better, you study and do better. If you can fix the situations in marriage, you fix them. But what I'm talking about tonight are the things over which you have no control. And in every life, there are going to be situations that occur over which you have absolutely no control. Nothing you can do, nothing you can say, no way you can solve the issue. And everybody will face that. I went to the eye doctor just to get new contacts. When I put the new contacts in, I said, Doc, these, these are no different. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, let me describe it to you like this. If I close my right eye and look at you out of my left eye, everything looks okay. But if I close my left eye and look at you out of my right eye, doctor, your head is gone. I had a blockage there. I could hold my hand there. I could see the palm, but I couldn't see the fingers. I'd look at a picture on the wall. I could see some of the picture, but not all the picture. And everywhere I turned my eye, there was something that was missing. And he says, that's not our contact. There must be something very serious wrong with your eye. And so he sent me to a specialist to be tested. It's amazing what they can do to your eye while it's still in your head. I went to the Wheels Hospital in, um, up north of, uh, I can't remember what town it is now. Not Pit- I think it is Pittsburgh. Went to the Wheels Eye Hospital. And there were probably 15 or 20 people there that were examining me for three hours. They were probing in my eye, shining lights in my eye, having confrontation, uh, conversations and so forth regarding what they were seeing. And finally the doctor said, would you like your wife to join us? I said, sure. I, I thought he was being kind. She's been in the waiting room for three hours waiting for me. He said, I need you to both come to my office. And we walked in the office. He closed the door. And he drew a line on the board, and he says, I need to talk to you about survival rate. And my wife said, of his eye? No, ma'am, of his life. What we're dealing with is a spiral melanoma, a very serious cancer, and because of the proximity to the brain, he was assuming I had one, (laughs) he, he said, you have no options. The eye must be taken out immediately. What do you say in a moment like that? My wife will tell you the first words from my mouth from which comes the thought of the message this evening. Oh, well. There's not one thing I can say that will change the situation. Not one thing that I can do that will change the situation. 
And so I was scheduled to have the eye removed. I had been in a meeting in Stone Mountain, Georgia, flew back to Washington, D.C., where I now live, went to the hospital to have my eye removed. Are you ready for this? I went to have my outpatient surgery. <clears throat> it's not a big deal to have your eye removed, I discovered. You go to the hospital, they take it out. Three hours later, you go home. But I'll never forget that day. I walked up to a lady. I said, hello, I'm Steve Pickett. I'm here for surgery. She searched. She couldn't find my name. She couldn't find any information. Maybe they have your paperwork downstairs. And so I was directed to another place, went downstairs, walked up to another lady. And I said, hello, ma'am, I'm, I'm here for surgery. My name's Steve Pickett. She said, oh, yes, yes, we've been expecting you. Well, <laughs> that was encouraging. Somebody knows I'm here. She turned around, she got my file, she opened it up, <clears throat> she read for a moment, and then she said, now, Mr. Pickett, what are you having done today? <laughs> what does the file say I'm having done? <laughs> I said, ma'am, I'm having an eye removed. Oh, that sounds serious. <laughs> yes, ma'am, I, I guess so. And she was writing, and she said, which one? Have you ever just get in your car and go home? Let's come back on another day when everybody's on the same page and we know what we're doing. I was being prepped for surgery, and Dr. Perman, who was doing the surgery, came in. He said, Steve, how are you doing? I said, I I'm fine, but, but I've got a question for you. What's that? Which eye are we removing? He said, the right one. Uh-huh. Is that your right or my right? <clears throat> that makes a difference when you're facing somebody. Now, keep in mind, the Bible says, if your right eye offend thee, pluck it out. It doesn't say anything about the left eye, which is the difference between me and Ron Hamilton. Ron took his left eye out. That is not even biblical. I said, you have a pen in your pocket? Yeah, take it out. I want you to draw an arrow right there. And he did. He took it out. He drew an arrow right there, which, by the way, if you don't know, is law. When you're doing surgery, they write on your body where they're doing the surgery. But do you know why it became law? It happened in Tampa, Florida. 2020 did a report, and they discovered 15,000 wrong side operations. What do you mean by wrong side operations? In the Tampa, Florida, a guy was having his arm amputated. They took the wrong one, wrong side operations. 15,000 wrong side operations. So now they write on your body, operate here, don't touch anything over here. But when he left, I thought, I wonder if he will remember what the error is for. Is that the one I take out, or is that the one I leave in? <laughs> well, he got the right one. And when we were leaving, he told my wife, the only thing Steve will need is Tylenol. He missed that one. Whenever I got home, whatever they had given me wore off, and I was having some pain. And my wife called him back, and he says, okay, I'll put, it, I'll put in an order for Percocet. <laughs> I like Percocet. <laughs> I, I took Percocet, and for three days, I didn't know I had eyes. <laughs> for three days, I didn't know I had a head. <laughs> I used to preach, I've never done drugs. Can't preach that one anymore. <laughs> I've done Percocet. You get over it very rapidly. By the end of the same week, I was on an airplane headed to Vancouver, Canada for the next meeting. I had not told them about the surgery. I had not told them I was coming wearing a patch. At that time, I didn't have the eye made either. I just put a patch on and, and went. 
I'll never forget Rob Diaz, who was traveling with me, Bobby Finch, who were traveling with me. We were setting up all the sound equipment that Saturday night for, for the Sunday morning service the next morning. And one of the ladies came to Rob, and she says, oh, oh, I'm so sorry that Mr. Piggott lost his eye. Is that going to affect his vision? <laughs> Duh. <laughs> Lady, poke your eye out with an ice pick. Does that affect your vision? You know, it's an amazing thing. I can make people disappear. See, all those people, they're gone. <laughs> it's an amazing thing what has happened. And at that moment, the most hilarious things that have happened started. I have had so many hilarious things happen since I wear a patch. It is absolutely unbelievable. I'm thinking about taking the other eye out. I mean, it's just got to be a blast. Over and over again, the same night... We went back to the motel. I was unpacking. I had forgotten to bring my contact solution and my contact taste, take out my contact. I knocked at Bobby's door. It was already very late at night. I said, Bobby, we need to go see if I can find some contact solution and so forth. The only place we found was a, a grocery store that had a pharmacy in it, but pharmacy was closed. I said, ma'am, do you have any contact cases? I had found the contact solution, but no case. And she says, no. And she says, I'm sure we don't have any. She said, but I can go to the pharmacy and get you some bottles. I said, well, that'd be fine. So she goes away, and she brings back two of them. She set them on the counter, opened the drawer, took out a magic marker, and she was about to write on both of them. Such a kind lady. I said, ma'am, look at me. I don't think I'm going to need but one of those bottles. She said, oh, 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 I'm sorry. I'll just put... I'll just put an L on this one. I said, well, thank you. That will help me keep it straight. <laughs> one eye, one contact. I don't get them confused anymore. There is such an advantage of having one eye. My contacts last twice as long. The one people wait on, I was at the Las Vegas airport. I'd been at Ironwood Camp flying back to Washington, D.C., I wear the patch most all the time. I have a drainage issue. I do have a fake eye, but sometimes it's not clean, and I don't always know that it's not clean. So I wear the patch for your benefit. <laughs> but I, I'm at home. I, I don't wear the patch at home. My wife understands the situation. My son's understood the situation. And uh, sometimes when I get on a plane late at night, the red-eye flight, <clears throat> you'll catch that in a moment, <laughs> I get on a plane, all I'm going to do is go to sleep. And I love doing this because this eye does not close. So I lay back and I'm sound asleep with one eye wide open staring at everybody. I've had people shake me. They think I had a heart attack or a stroke. And I say, I'm just trying to sleep. Yeah, but your eye's wide open. Well, sure, I keep an eye on you while I'm sleeping. That night when I got to the airport, I wasn't wearing the patch, walked up to United Airlines, and I noticed there was a flight going to the Washington Dulles Airport. I had been scheduled actually to go into Baltimore, and I said, ma'am, can I get on that plane instead? It's much easier for my wife to pick me up when I get home. She said, yes, but you'll have to hurry to catch that flight. Well, I was running through the airport trying to get on that flight, looked like a normal person with two eyes, and I ran over a lady. I never saw her. She came out of the right side. I hit her. Unfortunately, I hit her hard, and she turned on me. Oh, she let me have it. 
ungodly language and all. I said, ma'am, I am so sorry, but I did not see you. You had to have seen me. Bah, bah, bah. She just chewed on me like a little chihuahua. I said, ma'am, honestly, I did not see you. Bah, bah, bah. She wouldn't turn it loose. I thought, well, that's enough of this. I just reached up and took my eye out. <laughs> I said, ma'am, honestly, I didn't see you. But I pointed my eyepiece toward her and I said, but I see you now. <laughs> You said, Brother Steve, you ought not do that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but I paid thousands of dollars for this eye, and I think I have a right to have fun with it if I want to. <laughs> Recently, I had to have the eyepiece changed, and that meant that I now had two of them. So I kept one in my pocket <clears throat> and one in my head. I had so much fun with that, I'd walk up to small children. It's amazing what you can do. You know, a magician, he diverts your attention to do something. Well, I think this was the same thing. I would take the eye out and I'd point at a little child and say, I can see out of this. Uh-uh. Yes, I can. I can see out of it. Uh-uh. Hold up your fingers and I'll count them. And they'd hold up their fingers and I'd say, three. Never dawns on them. I'm looking at them. <laughs> they run off. Mommy, mommy, he can see out of that eye. <laughs> over and over again, things, hilarious things have happened. I go on and on with the things that have happened and hilarious things that have happened. That eyepiece that I did have, <laughs> I lost it. <clears throat> Not many people lose an eye twice, but I was on a United flight, and it was in my pocket, and I knew exactly when it came out, I knew exactly where it was. I'd gotten off the plane, and I knew exactly what seat I was in, and I had to go down to a baggage claim area and put a, file a report for a lost eye. <laughs> And uh, I, I told the lady, I said, ma'am, honestly, it's a prosthetic. I, I lost it. I would like to get it back. And they put it in their system. You know, everybody, United Airlines, there's that lost item. Everybody read, there's a lost eye somewhere traveling on a plane. I just couldn't see where it was. In all of these situations, someone asked, how can you have joy or rejoicing or glory in, in situations like that? I believe it's an attitude. And I'm going to say this. No matter what happens in your life, if you have the right attitude, I'm here to say it's going to come out okay. But if you have the wrong attitude, I'm going to say it's going to eat you alive like a cancer. I could have cancer in my body tonight. As far as we know, they got it all. Have, nothing has ever shown up in over the years. But if I had cancer in my body tonight, that cancer would be far better than the cancer of bitterness. Because bitterness eats at one's soul. Over the years in ministry, I've seen the problems that people have and how it has affected them. I know people who used to serve in church, and because things did not go the way they wanted it to go in church, words were exchanged, things were done, so that there's a breach with these people. And these people, the ones that I have in my mind right now, no longer darken the door of a church and haven't for years. I know people who actually served on church staffs. 
But because things didn't go the way they wanted them to go on the church staff, there was words exchanged, bitterness grew in them, and those people who served for years on church staffs no longer darkened the door of a church. I know people who've gotten mad at God. God, this is not fair. I don't deserve the things I'm going through. And they say things to God that ought not be said. I believe it's at a time like this when one should consider the prayer of the psalmist. Lord, renew a right spirit within me. I want you to see the passage of Scripture, and I want you to notice a word that is used. Psalm 51. And verse number 10 and following. Look for an interesting word used in the passage of Scripture. Quite frankly, a word that I had not noted until the situations I had gone through. Psalm 51, verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit, a right attitude within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Watch carefully. Restore unto me, and say it with me, the joy of thy salvation. Restore joy. When one has a bitter spirit, what's missing? Joy. Rejoicing, glorying, great rejoicing. When one's in turmoil, oftentimes what's missing? Joy, rejoicing, glory, and great rejoicing. And the psalmist, because of the sin that he was living in, that sin had robbed him of the joy of his salvation. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Now I'm going to hold this passage just for a moment and ask the question, why Why should we as God's people, even in difficult situations that are very undesirable, why should we have joy? Why rejoicing? Why glory? Why great rejoicing? Why? Two reasons, much without explanation. Number one, our testimony is at stake. People are watching us. And I believe this. I believe our testimony shines at its brightest when we're going through difficulties much brighter than when we're on the mountaintop. When someone's on the mountaintop, oh yes, there's joy, there's rejoicing, glory. It's wonderful on the mountaintop. But imagine you're in some of the deepest, darkest waters that you've ever been in in your life. And yet, you still have joy and peace and contentment that your God is in control of everything. And you rejoice in your relationship with Him, and there's glory in your relationship with God, and there's great rejoicing. People on the outside, they begin to look in and say, I don't understand what that person has, but whatever it is, I need that in my life. And I'm confident in our times of trials, our testimony shines at its brightest. But then notice that this passage of Scripture, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, uphold me with thy free spirit, and watch what happens. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. 
if we have the right spirit, the right attitude, when the joy of our salvation can be witnessed and seen, it draws people to Jesus Christ. But when there's bitterness, it can push them away. Restore unto me the joy. Sometimes we don't always have the right spirit or the right attitude. Sometimes we may tend to say things we ought not say or take matters into our own hands. It can happen to any of us. It might be that we just need to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I need you to do a work in my heart. Restore unto me a right spirit, a right attitude in situations that are difficult. I was in Land of Lakes, Florida. I was preaching at First Baptist Church, Land of Lakes, Florida, Dave, uh, Dave Peters. Peterson. Rick Averett is the associate pastor there, and I had preached this message that night, and they were riding home. And they had a four-year-old girl, and she said, Daddy, can we stop at McDonald's? No, we've got to get home. We've got school tomorrow. Daddy, please, please, can we stop at McDonald's? No, we've got school tomorrow. Got, Daddy, please, can we stop at McDonald's? No. And she rode in silence, and McDonald's was coming up, and her nose was placed against the window, and McDonald's passed by, and she sat in the back seat. Oh, well. <laughs> I was at Maranatha Baptist Bible College a number of years ago. One of the staff members had a five-year-old son that was having his eye removed the next day, and they requested that I bring the message. They sat on the front row. He heard the entire message at five years old. The next day, when he goes to the doctor, the doctor says, you have anything you want to say? You know this is a serious surgery. Anything you want to say? Oh, well. <laughs> I'm sure the doctor had no idea where that came from. But it behooves all of us to have a right spirit. To protect our testimony so that people can be influenced for righteousness' sake. My brethren... Count it all joy, even when you fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this, you'll grow in patience. Rejoice even in tribulation, even when there are manifold problems. Glory in them, knowing that God could be bringing them into your life to mold you into the image of Christ, to make you perfect, entire, complete, wanting nothing. He always knows what he's doing to bring glory through our lives to himself. Let's pray. Father, sometimes we don't always handle situations in a way that honors you or in a way that honors our faith. Sometimes we might have the propensity of flying off the handle. Lord, I pray that tonight we would just come and say, Lord, renew a right spirit, a right attitude in me. I don't want to do anything that mars my testimony or destroys it. 
But even in those situations, I want my life to shine as a lighthouse to bring glory and honor to you. I want my testimony to remain intact. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I wonder.